Good day. Welcome to another edition of Crossfade Bible Ministries Bible Studies. We'll be starting a new chapter today in the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 5. We'll be covering verses 1 through 10. And the title of today's lesson is The Healing at the Pool on the Sabbath. So let's just jump into today's lesson. We'll be covering verses, like I said before, 1 through 10. So starting in verse 1, this is what it says. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep, some of your Bibles might say the sheep gate, there was a pool called Bethesda, which had five covered platforms or porches surrounding it. In these lay a multitude of invalids. Some of your Bibles might say sick people, such as the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And they were waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel, according to the seasons, he would come down into the pool and he would stir the water. And therefore, the first one who stepped in after the stirring of the water would be made well. And one man that had been invalid or sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw this man lying, he knew that he already been there a long time. He said to this man, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to the man, get up. Take up your bed. Some of your Bibles might say pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. So let's go back to verse 1. And let's kind of decipher and see what's going on in this story right here. So you know, according to verses 1 through 10 that I just read, you see that there's this man that's been sick. And the Bible tells us he was sick for 38 years. Now, was he at this location at the pool at Bethesda for 38 years? The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible just says he had been sick for 38 years. So we see that Jesus is going to come to this man and he's going to heal this man. So there's going to be some type of restoration that's going to be performed here right? And we got to understand that it's going to be performed both physically and spiritually as we're going to find out in today's Bible study. So looking at verse 1, let's go back to verse 1 and look at it. Verse 1 says this, that after this there was a feast of the Jews and that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we see that although we're not told what feast or what festival, some of your Bibles might say festival instead of feast, We can tell from the story itself exactly what feast is taking place. Now, biblically speaking, according to the book of Leviticus in chapter 23, there are eight festivals that the Jewish people take part in, right? But three of those festivals have great, great significance. Now, what do I mean by that? Because three of these festivals... The people of Israel, the Jews, they're told, and the Gentiles also that believe in Judaism, they're told that you cannot celebrate this in your own home, right? In other words, they had to travel to the place where God dwelt. 
and that place is the holy city of Jerusalem. So, so they, there were there were pilgrim festivals, you can say, right? That people had to walk to, and there was three of them, right? Now, these festivals consisted, like I said before, of not just Jewish people, but also Gentiles who believed in the one true God of Israel. And these three festivals that I'm talking about, where people had to walk. The first one was the Feast of Passover, and that's what we're talking about in this story here. And how do I know that? Because you're going to tell as we go along in today's Bible study that it is the Feast of Passover. Or some people call it the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? A second festival that the Jews had to walk to was the Feast of Weeks. Some people might know it as the Feast of Pentecost. Right. And and the third and the final one where they had to walk was called the Feast of Tabernacles. But again, in today's lesson, what we're talking about, we're talking about the Feast of Passover here, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Bible also tells us in verse one of chapter five, it says, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, this is important because he goes up to Jerusalem because he's a Jew. He goes up to Jerusalem because he's Torah observant. In other words, according to the Torah, it was mandated that every Jew be present in the temple and take part in these festivals. You see, if he didn't go, then he'd be violating the law, right? He'd be violating the Torah, the law of Moses. And if he violated the law, then he couldn't be that sacrificial redemption for all of humanity. Amen. Verse 2. Now, there in Jerusalem, by the sheep, some of your Bibles might say sheep gate, there's a pool called Bethesda, which has five covered platforms or porches surrounding it. So we see here that <clears throat> there's a gate, or the Bible says it's called by the sheep or by the sheep gate, there's a pool. Now, let's talk about the word sheep. We know that sheep, biblically speaking, represents sacrifice, right? And remember, there's a festival that's taking place here. That's why people are going up to Jerusalem. And the festival that we're speaking of is the Passover festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, what would happen at this festival? The sacrificing of sheep would take place. So at this festival, everybody that's present, everybody that's taking part in this festival, they have to bring a sacrifice. Now the people had two options that they can that they can do. The first one was you bring a sheep from your house, right? And if and the second one was you purchase a sheep at this sheep gate, right? Now, if you purchase from your house, let me give you a little history of this, right? If you if you brought one from your house instead of purchasing it at the sheep gate, if you had if and at this time they all raise sheep. So if you brought a sheep from your house, most of the time it was carted. Because remember, these people had to walk to the festival, right? You didn't have you didn't have vehicles and you didn't have cars like we do today. And some people traveled a great distance. So they would cart the sheep. Now, why would they cart the sheep? Because according to Jewish law, according to the Torah, this sheep had to be perfect, right? I mean, there, there was no spot, there was no blemish on this sheep. It had to be a perfect sheep, a one-year-old, according to the Bible. Now, if you walked 
and you didn't court that sheet, then you'd be taking a chance that something maybe would go wrong with that sheet. Maybe that, that hoof of that sheet would, 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 you know, would be dismantled in some type of way. So you didn't want to take that chance. So what they would do is they'd put them on a court and they would court them to Jerusalem. Or the second option that you can have is you can actually purchase a sheep at this sheep gate because they're already picked. In other words, the, the, the sheep at the sheep gate was perfect. And who decides if it's perfect or not perfect? The religious leaders, the priests, the Levites, right? So most people, what they would do is they would just purchase, purchase a sheep because it was the easiest thing to do. And you know it was already clear to be perfect. Now, it talks about this pool. Now, we're not talking about a swimming pool here. We're talking about a small body of water. We're going to see that this pool has great and plays great significance in this story of Bethesda, with, the, with this man that had been sick for, for, for 38 years. So the Bible also tells us, we go back to, to verse 2. Now there in Jerusalem by the sheep or by the sheep gate, there was a pool called Bethesda, which had five covered platforms or porches surrounding it. Now this word Beth in Hebrew means house. And Bethesda means grace. So if you put it together, it means the house of God's grace, the house of God's mercy, you can say, the house of God's compassion, right? This means that which God supplies, we can say. Now, why is that? So God's covenant promises could become a reality in our life. That's why. Now, the Bible also tells us that there was five covered platforms or porches. Now, this means some type of covering, sort of like a little patio to us that we would, we would relate to today. So we see that this place has five covered patios, you can say, right, or porches where people was there, where people was laying, where people was waiting. Now we know that numbers play an important part in, in, in the Bible. And the number five, if you remember from a couple of weeks that we had been on that lesson with the woman at the well, five means incomplete, that which is lacking. So keep that in mind as we go through today's Bible study. Verse three, in these lay a multitude of invalids. Some of your Bibles might say sick people the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And they were waiting for the movement of the water. Now, the sick means they lack something. They lack, they are incomplete, right? Remember the number five, the five patios. So we see that underneath these five patios or platforms are people that are sick. They're lacking something. What are they lacking? They're lacking health. They're incomplete, you can say. And it says the, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, right? So all these people that had been sick, that had been some type of health issue with them, they're around this pool. Now, why there are, are these people all around this pool? Why they're at this location? Because this is where God was moving. Now, these people, they have many problems in their lives, right? They're sick. They're invalid. They're lacking. They're incomplete. But you know this, they're very wise. Now, why do I say that? Because they went to a place where God was present. They went to a place where God was moving. You see, there's evidence of heavenly or kingdom activity 
at this particular pool. Now, why do I say this? Because restoration is taking place at this pool. Those who will be in the kingdom are those that have been restored, right? Back how God wants them to be. They're restored back to a right relationship with God, amen? They were restored back to that covenant promise that God gave us, amen? And the Bible also tells us that they were waiting for the movement of the water. So all these people who are sick, they're lacking, they're lacking health, they're incomplete. They would sit around this pool and they would wait. And you might say, wait for what? Well, look at verse 4. For the angel, according to the seasons, he would come down into the pool and he would stir the water. And therefore, the first one who stepped in after the stirring into the water, this one was made well. So we see that an angel from heaven, God dispatches an angel and he comes down to this pool at various times. The Bible says, according to the seasons. And when he would come to this pool, he would stir the water. Now, no one would actually see this angel in a physical sense, right? But what they would see is they would lay around these pools on these patios. And when they would see the water being stirred up, that means the angel was present, right? And once people saw that the water was being stirred up, moving, the first one to get into the pool would be healed, no matter what kind of sickness you had. So this is a place where God is present. This is a place where God is moving. This is a place where God is restoring people, where they can be complete again, right? But not only physically, but spiritually also, so they can be right with God, so they can commit to God, so they can serve, they can serve God, so they can praise and give honor and glory to God, amen? Now, what is interesting about this is that you know this is from God, right? You see, it didn't matter the sickness. Once this angel that was sent by God comes to this pool, he stirs the water. Remember what I said, whoever was the first one into that pool, didn't matter your health condition. It didn't matter your sickness. That person was automatically healed. Now these people knew this. So what they did, they would camp out underneath these five patios, right? But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice who was not there, who was not present with these people around this pool, and that was the religious leaders. You see, this location, it didn't interest them. Now, let me ask you a question here. Where God is located, in other words, what God is up to, does this interest you, right? And, and more importantly, are you wise enough to discern this? I mean, are you wise enough to go to that location, to make changes in your life, to make changes in your plans, to participate in the things of God, amen? Are you interested in this? Are you up for that? One man, verse 5, was there who had been sick or invalid for 38 years. So we see that this man had been sick. This man was lame. He couldn't walk for 38 years. Now, was he at this location at the pool? We don't know. The Bible really doesn't tell us that. All the Bible tells us is that he was sick. He was lame for 38 years. Now, remember, numbers are important in Scripture. And we see this number, 38. So what does 38 mean? 
Well, let's jump into this right here. Let's start with the number eight. Eight means or has to do with circumcision. Now, what is circumcision? It's the death of the flesh in, in, in Bible terms. So we see that there's going to be a redemptive experience that will be taking place, right? When our flesh is dead and when we are alive in the spirit, and that's what God wants us to do. That's what God's calling us to do is to live in the spirit. There's redemption that's going to take place. And this is what redemption is all about, is when a person is alive in the spirit and he kills the flesh, right? So we can say that the number eight has to do with redemption. Now, what is the purpose of redemption? A kingdom life. You see, if we are alive in the spirit, then we are demonstrating a kingdom life. Amen. So, so this number has to do with redemption, we can say. It has to, has to do with kingdom. It has to do with rebirth, maybe a newness, maybe a reborn, right? All of this has to do with the number eight. Now, let's look at the number 30. See, biblically speaking, there are two different ways to look at the number 30. We can look at the numbers five and six because five times six is 30 or three times 10 is 30. So what does all this mean? Let's first start with the number three. Three means testing for a purpose. Now, this is important here. The number 10 means completion. So what is the message you can say of 38? According to what? Three and 10. 38 means new beginnings. That's what 38 means, biblically speaking. Why? Because you're killing the flesh and you're walking in the spirit. You following and you committing to God. And in this case, through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what is, is set forth for us today. When, when Jesus died, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away, but I'm going to leave you a helper. I'm going to leave you an advocate. And what is that? Who's that helper? That helper is the Holy Spirit. And I say this often, that in this world that we live, remember, this world is from the devil. It's evil. There's two entities that want your soul, that want your body. And that's the flesh, which comes from the devil, comes from Satan. And Jesus said, who is your father of this earth? It's the devil. And unless you walk in the spirit, then you belong to your father of this earth. It's the devil. Jesus said that. Or you can kill the flesh, circumcision, right? And you can follow the Holy Spirit. That's by Jesus, amen? The Trinity. The Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen, the Holy Spirit. So we need to realize something here that's very, very important. If you go back to the scriptures, right? Go back to this Bible study today. We all go through times of testing in our lives, just like this man. They've been laying for 38 years, right? And, and when we tested in, in difficult times in our life, right? A lot of us, you know what we say? We say, I want this to go away. I want to get out of this. I want this to end. And we flee and we run. And we try to get out of it. We try to take the easiest way out. But you see, this is wrong. We should want to be tested all the way. Why? Because if we don't go through the testing all the way, then we're not going to mature in our faith. We're not going to grow in our faith. And, and when, we're not, when we don't grow in our faith, then we don't have new beginnings that God wants us to experience, that God has for us. 
See, I say this quite often that God gives us tests in our lives and he puts us through trials and tribulations and you have problems because he wants your faith to grow in him. And if you pass that test, then there's a new beginning for you. There's something new that God wants to give you because that's a that's a test that you pass and say, I trust you in this difficult time in my life, right? It might be in your marriage that you're going through some things with, you, with your spouse right now. And it's difficult. It might be something to do with your kids. It might be work-related. Whatever situation that we go through, because we all go through hard times in life. We all go through trials and tribulations. And when we go through that, when that comes upon us, we should hit that full spirit speed ahead, full steam ahead, we should hit them problems. And how do you do that? In prayer. How do you do that? By reading scripture, by getting closer to God, by walking more into an intimate relationship with him. Because he's going to carry you through, right? He's going to pull you through. And that's, that's, but a lot of us, we don't do that. A lot of us just run. We, we want to flee. We want to surrender. We want to give up. And this isn't wise. We need to persevere, people. We need to endure. See, the testing is going to come. And in the end, on God's timetable, God's going to end it. But we got to understand it's got to be on his timetable and not ours. So when testing comes, don't rebel. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't flee. Don't be afraid. Turn more to God. Turn more and walk more in the spirit. So we can say that 38 means that we will be tested. And at the end of that testing will be a new beginning. Amen. Now, another way to look at this is through the numbers five and six. The number five, as we said before, means incomplete, that which is lacking. Remember what we just learned. There's five patios here, five platforms, porches. And all these people are living, you can say, underneath these porches, these platforms. They all had one thing in common, all these people. What was that? They lacked health. They were incomplete. Now, all of us are born into this world lacking something. All of us born into this world, we are incomplete. All of us. Because when we are born into this world, we become sinners because of what Adam and Eve did at the cross, right? Now, we need, to, we need to remember this. Going back to the scripture, the number six has to do with the grace of God. It is his loving kindness, his mercy, his compassion, right? It is what God supplies for a covenant purpose and the promises that that can become a reality into our lives. See, we will see because of God's mercy here, right? Because of his compassion. God's going to supply what we need to get through that trial, to get through that tribulation. Because he wants those covenant purposes and promises to become a reality into our lives. If we trust in him, if we turn towards him, if we rely on him. See, we're going to see because of God's mercy that this man will be made complete, that this man will be healed. He will give him redemption. Jesus is going to give him a new beginning. Jesus is going to heal him 
both physically and also spiritually. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us today. He wants to give us a new beginning. He wants to give us redemption through him. He wants to give us a new life. Amen. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already been there a long time, he walks up to the man and he tells him, do you want to be healed? Now we see that Jesus comes in and he sees this man. Now Jesus knows everything about every one of us. He knows everything about this man. But look what Jesus asks him here. Do you want to be healed? Now, of course, this man wants to be healed. But what does Jesus mean when he says that, right? See, this means rather or not this person wants to walk in obedience or not. To God, but through Jesus. That's what Jesus means by this. You see, when Jesus asks, do you want healing? He is saying, do you want to walk with God? He's saying, do you want to live for God? Do you want to live for me? Do you want to commit? That's what he's saying, right? Do, do you want all of this? Now, obviously, in this condition, this man, he couldn't do this, right? He couldn't live up to his full potential because he was lame. He couldn't walk. So, so we see here that Jesus is telling us, that I'm going to heal you physically, but it has a spiritual purpose. And what is that? To turn this person into a servant of God. You see, after 38 years, this man's problems, right, had become his way of life, you can say. No one had ever helped him, right? He had no hope. He was losing hope of ever being healed. He wanted to be healed. And we can tell it, uh, we can tell that because he stayed there. And every time that water stirred, he tried to get to that pool. But he couldn't because he couldn't walk so somebody would beat him in the pool. So he's losing hope, right? He, he had no desire to help himself because he's losing hope. I mean, after a, a long time, you know, it could have been 38 years he's around this pool. We don't know. But it's a long time. And he's giving up, but he wants to be healed. See, no matter how you feel about your problems in life, right? Remember that God can minister to your needs. See, don't let a problem, don't let a hardship or a situation make you lose hope. God may have a special work for you to do in the condition that you're in right now. Right? And when you turn to God and you trust in God and you go through those times of trouble and you endure all the way to the end, you persevere, then you're going to have a new beginning. If you trust in him, if you believe in him, if, if you are willing to surrender to him, if you're willing to have faith and believe in him. That's what he's saying here. Verse 7, the sick man answered, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. So we see that this man, right? He should have just said yes to Jesus. Because this man really does want to be healed. But look what he says here. He uses an excuse. Now what he's saying is the truth. But he's still using it as an excuse. You see, he was looking at the healing in only one way. He was perceiving it with his own eyes. You see, he believed. If ever I'm going to be healed, this is what his thinking was, right? If ever I'm going to get into this water, that's what's going to heal me, is the water, is this pool. But there's only one problem. He couldn't walk. 
There's only one problem. Every time the angel would show up and stir the water, someone else would beat him into the water. So we see that this man is frustrated. This man has been there a very, very long time. He wants to be healed. But every time the water is stirred up, someone beats him to it because he can't walk. No one's there to help him. So this man, after so many years, is giving up hope. He thinks the only way to be healed is in this pool. So when Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? And he tells Jesus, think about what you're asking me, man. Think about it. Man, I've been here all this time. Obviously, I want to be healed. But the problem is, I can't get into the pool fast enough, right? See, what I'm trying to say is this. He's looking at the situation from his vantage point. He's looking at the situation through his own eyes, through the flesh. And now let me ask you this question. The situation that you're going through right now, how are you looking at that situation? See, we need to stop looking at that situation as you see it. And you need to ask God to reveal it according to his perception, according to his plan, according to his way. We need to surrender to God. You see, when we see things in the physical, not the spiritual, then we need to change our mindset. Because God says, I can do anything if you're walking in spiritual obedience. If you're walking in the spirit. If you're going through that whole testing and you're still believing and trusting in me. If you're still obeying in me. If you're still relying on me. Your faith is growing. Verse 8, Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed. Some of your Bibles might say pallet and walk. So we see that Jesus tells him three things here. First, he says, believe. <laughs> That's what he says. Act upon my word. Believe that you can walk. So Jesus is saying here. Second, we see that Jesus tells him to take up his pallet, to take up his bed. This, is, this will have great significance in the story in a second. You're about to find out. And thirdly, he tells him, get up and go. Walk. Now, why walk? To show people that he was healed supernaturally in the physical. But also to show that he was walking spiritually with Jesus. Walking in obedience to the truth of Scripture. Amen. Verse 9. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So we see that this man's healed. Jesus heals this man. This man believes when Jesus says, get up. Do you believe that you can walk? And the man says, yes. Then Jesus says, get up and go walk. And so Jesus heals him. He heals, heals him physically, but he also heals his spiritual walk with God now, right? Through Jesus. But you see, there's a problem, even though he was healed, because the Bible says that this happened on the Sabbath. Now, in Jewish culture, in Jewish law, this was a day of rest. You couldn't do any, any type of work as far as business or commerce-wise. That's what the Torah said. Now, according to the book of James, there is a forbidding activity to bring things in and out of the city. And what is that? It's business. So no one can do business on the Sabbath. The prophet Jeremiah also spoke about this, right? About business and commerce and so forth on the Sabbath. So according to the Torah, according to the prophets, 
You couldn't do business on the Sabbath. You couldn't do commerce on the Sabbath. That was the law. But understand this. The religious leaders, right? Remember I told you. They had their own man-made laws, their own man-made rules that they added to the Torah, right? And in this case, that's a problem for the rabbis. That's a problem for the religious leaders. So when Jesus tells this man to go, he says, get up and walk. Take your mat and go. This is on the Sabbath he does this. And the religious leaders have a very, very serious issue with this. Because according to them, this man broke the law. But I want you to understand this. He did not break the Torah law. He broke the traditions of the elders law. He broke man-made rules law. That's what he broke. Verse 10, last verse for today. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, Jews, this is speaking about the religious leaders. Remember, these people put a great emphasis on the traditions of the elders. Not so much the Torah. They they read the Torah and they knew the Torah. But they put more emphasis on their man-made laws than the Torah himself, right? And we're going to see this. When you put more emphasis on man-made stuff than the commandments of God then you're going to miss out on the revelation of God. Amen. So Jesus heals this man, but he heals him on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders see this and they tell this man, you have broken the law. Now, Jesus just performs a miracle, right? And and miracles are not simply for the sake of healing. You see, there are many people there that day that were sick, that were incomplete, but only one of them was healed. So the message is this, that miracles are for the purpose of revelation. Amen. See, Jesus did things to confirm truth. It isn't an accident, right? In fact, Jesus tells this man, get up, rise, lift, go, take your pallet, take your bed, he tells him, and walk, go. See, what he's saying here is this, the rising was the miracle. The lifting of the pallet and the walking was the purpose. Of that miracle. So it's very clear that these religious leaders, they were witnessing something. They were witnessing a miracle. They were seeing this that was taking place, right? I mean, they had seen this man laying at this pool. Let's look at it from this perspective. Every day, the religious leaders would pass by this pool and they would see all these people, especially this man that had been there for no, I don't know how long, but he had been in this condition for 38 years. Now, he couldn't physically go to the pool. He, I mean, and they see this. They see this man wants to be healed. They know about the pool, that God is working at this pool because people are being restored. But yet, these religious leaders see this man day after day, month after month, year after year, for, for, for years. But yet, they don't try to help this man. Where's the compassion? right? Where's the grace? Where's the mercy, right? They knew about this man, but they didn't do one single thing to help him. You can say they really didn't care. So so we can say that these religious leaders, they had no order. They weren't interested in this pool. Why? Because we can say this, they weren't interested in what God was up to. That's why. 
So these religious leaders, they, 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 they witness this miracle that Jesus performed. And they're not happy that this man's healed. Why? Because of their religion. Because of their thoughts. See, they were missing out on what God was doing at this place. In other words, when someone would violate their teachings, when someone would violate the understanding of their Sabbath, of their man-made laws, not the Torah, their man-made laws, right? Right away, they would attack this person just like they did this man. They can care less that this man was healed after 38 years of being lame. You see, according to the Pharisees, right, carrying a math on the Sabbath was work. And according to traditions of the elders, right, their man-made rules, that was illegal. You couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Although this man did not break Old Testament law, this man, what he did in the Pharisees' eyes, he broke their law. And this was just one of hundreds of laws, of their man-made rules that they added to Old Testament law. I mean, here's a man who, who had walked again in 38 years. He's healed. He can walk. He's jumping. He's praising Jesus and God. But the Pharisees, they're not happy. They're not concerned about this man. They're not concerned about this miracle, right? They're more worried about their man-made rules. See, it's easy for us to all get caught up in our man-made structures. Maybe rules, right? But we forget that people sometimes are involved or things are sometimes involved. So let me ask you this question. Are your guidelines for living, are they God-made rules or are they man-made rules, right? In other words, are you helping people? Are you showing mercy and compassion on people? Or have you become a needless stumbling block, just like these religious leaders? See, Jesus wants us all to seek truth. Who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus wants to give us divine revelation. Jesus wants us. This is what he wants. He wants us to commit. He wants us to trust. He wants us to believe. He wants us to follow him all the way fully, 100% committed to him and the kingdom of heaven and the word of God. Amen. And that ends our lesson for today. We're going to be back next week again, continuing on with the Gospel of John chapter 5. Until next week, y'all have a blessed and wonderful week. Go be a blessing for someone this week. Go be that light that shines. When people see you, they should see Jesus. Amen. We appreciate you all tuning in and we love you guys. Until next week, God bless.